Hi, and welcome to Pillsbury's Industry Insights Podcast, where we discuss current legal and practical issues in finance and related sectors. I'm Joel Simon, a partner at the international law firm Pillsbury Winthrop Shaw Pittman. Our guest today is Brian Montgomery, a senior counsel and member of Pillsbury's Financial Industry Group with a specialization in consumer finance regulatory matters. Before joining Pillsbury, Brian served in several senior positions in the Consumer Protection and Financial Enforcement Division of the New York Department of Financial Services, including leading the department's program to examine regulated institutions for compliance with federal and state consumer financial laws. Brian also supervised investigations and enforcement actions involving a variety of consumer financial products and services, including mortgages, auto lending, unsecured consumer lending, student loans, and debt collection. Welcome to our podcast, Brian. Thanks, Joel. It's great to be here today. You know, Brian, we've waited very patiently for today's topic to become real after months of posturing, delays, and speculation. It's been 10 months, and finally, we have a Senate-confirmed director of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, popularly known by its acronym, the CFPB. Can you give us a brief background of the CFPB, how we got to where we are today, and why it's a big deal that there's finally a new director? Yes, I'd be happy to do that. So Congress established the CFPB as a key plank of the Dodd-Frank Act and gave the CFPB very broad rulemaking, enforcement, and adjudicatory powers in the consumer finance sector. The CFPB has now been operating since 2011, and under its first director, Richard Cordray, it applied the powers Congress gave it aggressively, especially in bringing investigations and enforcement actions. That changed to some extent under directors appointed during the Trump administration. Although the CFPB continued its work, it did not bring the same number of major public enforcement actions that it did under Director Cordray, and it also revised some of the consumer-focused rulemaking the CFPB did under Director Cordray. With the change in presidential administration this year, former director Kathy Craninger resigned, and since January, the CFPB has been led by an acting director, Dave Wagio. At the same time that acting director Wagio took office, President Biden nominated Rohit Chopra to be the permanent director. However, as you mentioned, it was a lengthy period in which he was not confirmed and was finally confirmed by the Senate very recently on September 30th in a vote that was entirely along party lines. His nomination was unpopular with some because he has made clear throughout his career, which I should mention included a five-year stint at the CFPB, where he was one of the key early staffers that set up the Bureau in its early stages, uh, that he has a very broad view of the scope of the CFPB's authority, and our expectation is that as director, he will actively use that authority to write rules and to bring enforcement actions. We expect to see a return to rulemaking that is more consumer-focused and to enforcement actions that involve much more significant monetary relief than we've seen from the CFPB in recent years. One interesting thing that I noted, Brian, is that uh, Mr. Chopra did receive significant bipartisan support when he uh, served on the FTC. Uh, and that was very recent that that vote happened. And so to see it be so partisan this time around, at least to me, came as a little bit of a surprise. Now, I know the CFPB has a wide remit. Uh, what financial products do you see being in the regulatory spotlight going forward now that we have our new director? Yeah, you're right about the wide scope of authority the CFPB has. And one thing that allows the Bureau to do is to examine 
an issue across the many different consumer finance markets where it has jurisdiction. We're now seeing that play out in how the CFPB is increasingly focused on the consumer impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic on a number of core financial products and services. Last year, the CFPB began doing high-level assessments to obtain real-time information about the impact of COVID-19, which it called prioritized assessments. It then published a summary of the findings from those assessments earlier this year, and based on that report and some statements from both Director Chopra and Acting Director Wagio, we're likely to see a major focus on several areas. One in particular will be mortgage servicing and how mortgage servicers handled the many forbearance programs that were put in place in response to COVID-19. Those programs are now beginning to expire, and we expect the CFPB to take a hard look at how servicers transition borrowers who have been on forbearance back into making their mortgage payments. Related to that, Director Chopra is also likely to closely review the consumer reporting market with a focus on the accuracy of information reported to consumer reporting agencies. The CFPB under Acting Director Wagio has already published several reports and guidance documents that relate to credit reporting, so institutions that furnish information and consumer reporting agencies should be preparing for heightened CFPB scrutiny. One other area that we will likely see the CFPB focus on is debt collection, uh, especially because there's a new CFPB rule covering debt collection that becomes effective at the end of November. And Brian, I know directors always seem to leave their own imprint on the agencies they serve. If you had to pick two things that you're expecting uh, Director Chopra to focus on that would fit into that category of him leaving an imprint, what do you think they would be? Uh, I think... I'd focus on two things. Um, As you said, one issue that applies broadly across consumer finance markets, which would be fair lending, supervision, and enforcement, and one very specific consumer finance market, which would be student lending and student loan servicing. For fair lending, uh, in general, I think we're likely to see the CFPB increase its focus on fair lending compliance, both through its authority to conduct examinations and to conduct investigations, and in particular, the CFPB is very likely to more aggressively attempt to employ the disparate impact theory of fair lending liability, through which facially neutral policies or practices can nevertheless lead to fair lending liability if those policies or practices result in disproportionate outcomes for protected classes. In its early years, the CFPB brought several several enforcement actions involving disparate impact in the auto lending market. Uh, It's noteworthy, I think, that as an FTC commissioner, as you mentioned, he served there for uh, approximately two and a half years prior to his nomination as CFPB director. Director Chopra strongly supported the use of disparate impact in an FTC enforcement action that very closely tracked those prior CFPB enforcement actions in the auto lending market. Uh, Moving to student lending, Director Chopra served as a CFPB student loan ombudsman during his prior time at the CFPB. So this is an area that he has long focused on. It's important to recognize in student lending that in addition to the CFPB, there are a number of other agencies and regulators that share authority, including the Department of Education and some state regulators. While serving as Student Loan Ombudsman Director Chowprov prioritized collaboration among those many agencies and often spoke about the importance of collaboration while an FTC commissioner. Very important, I think, here that former Director Cordray is now in a leadership position himself at the Department of Education overseeing student lending and has already been active there. And we're likely to see close collaboration between the CFPB and Department of Education on student loans. 
as we were talking about earlier with the mortgage market, there were a variety of forbearance programs for student loans that were put in place in response to COVID-19. And similarly, I think you will see a major focus from the CFPB and other regulators in how student loan servicers transition borrowers back to making their student loan payments. In a nutshell, Brian, uh, my last question for you is, what advice do you have for companies that provide consumer finance products to the market uh, in light of uh, these new expected activities uh, coming from the CFPB? I think there are a number of steps companies can take to head off these kinds of problems before they develop. First, and really always, it's important for companies to be regularly reviewing their compliance management systems and policies and procedures to make sure that they're up to date and that they reflect recent changes in law and recent enforcement actions, and to the extent that weaknesses are identified, to then make appropriate updates. One area I think is very important to highlight here is that with the CFPB likely returning to a more aggressive enforcement action posture, companies should be monitoring those enforcement actions and updating policies and procedures to reflect the positions that the CFPB has taken in those enforcement actions. It's likely the CFPB will have that expectation. Uh, It's also important to make sure that companies' policies and procedures are tailored to both their individual business model and their individual risk. I think that companies should be particularly focused on updating and reviewing their fair lending compliance programs when they're conducting these reviews. Two other things that I think are important are, number one, to verify that consumer complaint systems function properly and to be monitoring consumer complaints for risk and potential trends because consumer complaints have often served um, as a starting point for CFPB examinations, investigations, and enforcements. Uh, In a similar vein, it's also important to review companies' disclosures, advertisements, and other external consumer-facing materials for potential risk because those materials also often serve as an entry point for CFPB investigations. It certainly sounds to me like financial compliance officers and the lawyers who assist them are looking at a few busy years ahead of them. Thanks for joining us today, Brian. It's really been uh, an interesting discussion. Thanks, Joel. I agree with you, and it's been a pleasure to be here today. For this episode's This Week in History segment, we answer the burning question, what do George Carlin, Janice Ian, Andy Kaufman, and Billy Preston all have in common? You have to go back to October 11, 1975 for the answer. On that day, American TV's longest-running sketch comedy show aired for the very first time. Today, it has more than 900 episodes under its belt, all of them broadcast live from Studio 8H at Rockefeller Center in New York City, and all generally following the same format. With its cold open, a monologue, comedy sketches including Weekend Update, and a musical guest or two, Saturday Night Live has been entertaining, delighting, and offending generations for an incredible 46 years. Originally featuring the relatively unknown players Chevy Chase, John Belushi, Dan Aykroyd, Gilda Radner, Garrett Morris, Jane Curtin, and Lorraine Newman, Saturday Night Live has become a fixture of television comedy, political and social satire, and cutting-edge musical performance. On that long-ago October night in 1975, George Carlin and Andy Kaufman were the comedic guests and Janice Ian and Billy Preston provided the musical entertainment. And although its seasons have ranged from terrible to great, 
Saturday Night Live always manages to add some needed levity to our lives when we need it the most. You can catch all of our episodes on your favorite podcast streaming services, as well as on our website, PillsburyLaw.com. Until next time, thank you for listening to Pillsbury's Industry Insights Podcast.